the book of Matthew. And today we're going to be looking at chapter 3. And so we have understood and be reminding ourselves what Matthew's theme is and where Matthew's focus has been and Matthew's desire and the, what God had laid upon his heart in his writing. He wrote to the children of Israel, okay, and he was writing to the Jews to remind them that Jesus Christ, their promised king, had arrived. Okay, it was, his theme is about the kingdom and not necessarily the spiritual kingdom that God has been on the throne for uh, eternity past and into the future. He is talking about the kingdom that God established here on this earth. Okay, and we talk about the throne of David that would be, uh, he would sit upon forever. Okay, this is something that is here on this planet, uh, a kingdom. And Jesus is still in line to step onto that throne and rule right on this planet in the future. Okay, it didn't happen there at the time of his first coming, but it will happen at his second coming. But Matthew, and this is part of the reason we are very careful in where, how we study this book, is this is not a book written to a local church. Okay, this is a book that is written to the children of Israel to remind them that their Messiah, the king that had been promised for centuries, has come and he is fulfilling all the pieces of the scripture that are put in place. Okay, we talked about the fact of this kingdom. We talked about he was born a king and we chased his... Uh, his genealogy between Luke and between Matthew and how God, it, God proved there could be no one else because it came through Mary and through Joseph. And when Mary and Joseph came together and had a virgin birth, all the absolute essentials were put together. You had the physical line through Mary. You had the royal line through Joseph. But you had a non-human seed scenario through the virgin birth. It could have been no one else but Joseph and Mary who brought Jesus into this world. Okay, and it's important. And that is why when we start reading it and we're like, begot this and begot that and begot, and we think, oh, why, Lord? Okay, he did it purposefully because it's very important that we remember that there, God set this up exactly. And we talked about how Satan had tried to derail that. How many times did Satan try to mess up the seed through rapes, through incest, through the murder of a brother, through all these issues, God, Satan tried to interrupt that line that would bring forth Messiah. But every time Satan tried to, lose, uh, to, try to do it, he lost because God was always a thousand steps ahead and he knows what's happening. Now that gives me a lot of joy. Because I can look back and say, Joseph and Mary, some 4,000 years earlier, Satan was trying to mess things up but God was already way ahead. So I look at my life today and say, what's going on in this world today, Lord? What's going on in our nation and on this planet, everywhere around us? And you think, oh man, Satan's just messing things up. But I remind myself that God was 4,000 years ahead of Satan before. He's not pulling any tricks on him now either. God's got everything under control. So even as bad as it gets, trust God. He is working his plan. He will continue to work his plan. Last week, we looked at the recognition of the king. And God saw fit through these magi from the area of Babylon who were wise men, who were students of, uh, I don't want to say theology, uh, but they kept track of, of a lot of religious things. And I don't necessarily mean 
Jewish religion only. Okay, they were known to be very involved with studying gods and how they are involved in the world. And they knew from Daniel's testimony and from having the, 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 the Old Testament that a king was promised to Israel. They knew that. So they came from afar, okay, and that's not uh, meaning they stood by a, a nice warm campfire. I always tease that, right, Barb? All those Georgia parts, it doesn't, when you say they came from afar, it doesn't mean they were standing next to the far roast and marshmallows, right? Um, they came from that long distance with gifts specifically designed to honor the king. So Matthew focuses on the fact not only did he have a royal birth, but there were those who were looking for kings to arrive came with special gifts to honor a king. Okay? Well, today we're going to be looking at the herald of the king. Okay? Um, the one who is there to announce his arrival. Okay? And you, matter of fact, we shouldn't have any problem understanding what herald is. We have the Boston Herald right, as a newspaper. It is basically a messenger or someone who stands forth and declares something that has happened. Well, we looked at this a few months ago when we were studying in the book of Malachi. We're reminded again of it this morning, so we want to chase this down. Look, if you would, to Matthew chapter 3. Let's read the first verses together. In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So again, this is the prophesied person that God said would come be a messenger to announce the fact that Messiah was here. All right, so that's where we're taking off this morning. Let's just put a little word of prayer on this so, so we uh, ask God's blessing on it. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, help us as we have an understanding of this passage. Lord, I'm not the teacher. The Holy Spirit is. Lord, we have your word. We'll work through it some today. But Lord, you have a desire for each one of us this morning. And Father, I just pray you uh, show us what we can do different in our own lives to be more like you, to be used by you, to leave here changed. Father, thank you so much for your plan throughout the entire history of this world. You've been working it to the point here where John the Baptist arrives as part of your plan. So, Father, we thank you for that. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. So, remember that God had promised that there would be a messenger that comes before Christ. Okay, he had said this in Isaiah. He had said it in other places. We're going to look at a few of those verses just to remind you. Some of this will be repeat from when we looked at Malachi, but since we're doing a study on Matthew, and I want to make sure it's in the context of this Matthew recording and everything in the Matthew thing, we want to go over it again carefully to make sure that we're there. So, um, Matthew chapter uh, 1, but if you look at the next part here, God promised that there would be a messenger to announce the king at the arrival of the king, all right, to announce him. If you go over to Luke, we see this. Um, Luke chapter 3 gives us the same idea. I don't know if I actually wrote that verse out, but I don't think I did. Luke chapter 3. If you head in there, if not, I'll read it. Uh, and in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod the Tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip the Tetrarch, Tetrarch of Itria, in the region of Trac 
Yeah, Trachonitis. Uh, I would let to let Dan read this. He's so much better at these other names than me. Um, and uh, Lysanias, yes, and Tetrarch of that place. Okay, and Ananias and Caiaphas being high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness, and he came into all the country around, uh, country about Jordan, preaching and baptizing for the repentance of uh, remission of sins. So again, Luke reminds us that during this time period, John the Baptist came preaching, all right? He was the one that God had set aside. So let's just trace this a little bit through the Bible so we understand that this is exactly part, and this is why this is so important to Matthew. He is trying to what? Remind the children of Israel that this is the promised herald, the messenger that would come before to present the king. So he's saying, you have a king, he's born, the royalty had come to give him his credence and gifts to recognize him as king, and the herald that God had promised has come. Okay, let's keep going. Okay, John the Baptist, uh, he was named at birth and named and birth was confirmed by an angel. Here in Luke it says, the angel said unto him, fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer has been heard and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear a son and thou shalt call his name John. Please remember that Mary was not the only one who had a visit from an angel who told her she was going to have a child. Okay, both Zacharias... Okay, and Elizabeth, who had been praying for years and didn't have any kids, was visited by an angel okay, and promised that they would have a child and his name would be John. Okay, and you could read through the whole story. He doubted at first and God took his voice away. He was mute until John was born. And when the people around him, the men around him were bickering about what they thought his name would be, would it be Zacharias II or whatever? And he wrote on a tablet and said, his name is John. And as soon as he did that and confirmed it, God loosed his voice and he was able to speak again. Okay? God had a very special place. John just didn't come out of nowhere. God deliberately set John ahead, be, uh, ahead of Christ because he was the promised messenger. Okay, you with me so far? Again, Matthew is being so careful to focus on the idea that these prophecies have been around for a while. And the fact that John is here preaching about Jesus confirms that Jesus fits the position of the king. All right, keep going. He came preaching. Now, it's an interesting thing when you look up the two words that are used for preaching. There is one word that is used and it's, uh, I think, euangelios, preaching of the gospel, spreading of the good news. That is not what this word means. This word preaching means declaring something, okay? Um, <laughs> the only, why this keeps popping into my mind, I don't know. But all I can think of sometimes when I'm understanding this is that fella used to stand in the streets and say, Six o'clock and all is well. That was his job. He just announced certain things that the king or the, the city needed to know. Okay, that's what this word preaching means. It doesn't mean preaching like you and I do and we're commanded to in the Gospels and in, especially in the church epistles. This is a declaration. He is saying, hey, this is something important that you and part of the kingdom need to realize. Okay, five o'clock and all's well. All right, so that's the idea here. He's making a declaration of something that needs to be heard. Thus, we have the phrase Boston Herald. What does it do? It's supposed to tell you what is going on in the city. 
Okay, keep that in mind. That is what John is doing. All right, it is not declaring the good news of the gospel. Okay, this was a message specifically to the Jews. If you're in Matthew still, look at chapter 3, verse 5. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the regions about Jordan. He came and his message was to be delivered to the children of Israel. That was the plan, all right? He comes declaring repent because the promised Messiah is coming. That means absolutely nothing to the Gentiles. The promise of who? What are you talking about? Okay, remember the children of Israel were the only ones who were supposed to be looking for the Messiah. And I say supposed to be looking for Messiah because you remember what we studied last week? When they came and seen the star, okay, Herod goes ahead and asks the, the priests and Pharisees, where's this king supposed to be born? They say, oh yeah, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. They already knew when he was supposed to be born. They just weren't looking. Okay, John the Baptist is coming and declaring this to the Jews because they should have been watching out for this. All right. In the wilderness, not in the religious center. That's kind of important because we're going to see that as we chase this picture of Elijah being fulfilled by John. Okay, he didn't walk right into the city, into the synagogue. He was in the wilderness, just like the God's word had promised. All right. So he comes, he doesn't come into the city, but he's standing in the wilderness outside of Jerusalem in that area, and people were coming to see him because he was preaching the message that they were waiting for. Keep going. Malachi chapter 3, and we just looked at this a couple months ago. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom ye seek, shall suddenly come to his temple. Even a messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. So God makes the promise of both of these messengers. Number one, the messenger who would come and prepare the way, okay, and then the messenger that would come in Jesus Christ and, what does it say there? Confirm the covenant, right? Even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. So Malachi promises that there's going to be a messenger that comes and prepares the way. In chapter five, uh, 4 of Malachi, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great day and dreadful day of the Lord. He shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. So again, we're reminded, I'm going to send you a messenger. Now by the time this was written, Elijah's long gone. Okay, the, He's saying this one who comes in the spirit of Elijah that comes declaring repent prepare you the way of the lord okay that god promises there's a messenger coming and that's why we just read in matthew he says that john the baptist this is the one who elijah prophesied about will come okay so elijah the spirit the message that elijah was delivering is completed and fulfilled with john the baptist john the baptist comes in and says steps up and starts saying, hey, I'm the one sent before to prepare you for the Lord. He's a fulfillment of this prophecy. Keep going. In Isaiah chapter 40, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert highways for our God. Why is it that John the Baptist didn't go right into the city? Because God told that this man who would step in in the spirit of Elijah, this messenger, this one who would be the herald of the king, would be preaching in the wilderness, out in the highways, all right? As a matter of fact, we'll look at a verse in a minute that even tells you that 
when, just like Elijah was dressed in leather, guess what John the Baptist was dressed in? Okay, they wore the same kind of clothes. Okay, God was very careful in, in this prophecy. Keep going. Luke chapter 1, verse 17. He shall go for, before him in the spirit of Elias, Elijah, and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the, uh, of the just, and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This is that same person. Okay, when you read Luke chapter 1, this is talking about John the Baptist. Are you with me so far? Please understand, all of this is part of the prophecy. As much as uh, Jesus fulfilled some 113 different prophecies being born when he was born, John the Baptist is also fulfilling a bunch of prophecies that God had put forth. Okay, proving that this Jesus is the one that had been promised. All right, keep going. Matthew chapter 17, Jesus himself is, is answering a question from the disciples. And his disciples asked him, saying, why then say the scribes that Elias must first come? So they're saying, why God are, are those who are students of the scripture telling us that Elijah's going to come? Okay, they're asking Jesus then. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus answered and said unto them, Elijah truly shall come first and restore all things. So Jesus himself is confirming. This one who is the voice crying in the wilderness, okay, will come. But look, but I say unto you that Elias is come already, and that ye knew him not, or they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise, also shall the Son of Men suffer of them. By this point, they had beheaded John the Baptist. Okay? But Jesus is confirming this prophecy. He's saying, listen, you're asking, why are they saying John, that the spirit of Elijah, this one prepare ye the way of the Lord, would come before Messiah? He said, I'm telling you, he did come. And he was John the Baptist. So Jesus himself is proving this to be true. Okay, look at next verse, Matthew chapter 11, 7 through 10. And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John the Baptist, okay, what went ye out to see in the wilderness? Uh, uh, what went ye out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? What went ye out, in the, uh, out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in the king's houses. Next. Uh, but what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send a messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way of the Lord before thee. Okay? Shall prepare thy way before thee. Jesus himself says, you want me to tell you about John? Okay? What did you go out to see? Was it just some circus act that you were listening to? Was it just some strange guy who was dressed in leather and ate locusts and all kinds of stuff? No, this is the exact person that God had promised through the Old Testament that would come to prepare the way from the king. Okay, this is the prophecy. This is the stuff. And notice these are the Matthew verses because Matthew is very focused on, on proving to the Jews that Jesus Christ came as king. Yes? Okay. Second Kings. And this is the part that I just wanted to remind you, even the way he dressed and behaved himself. In 2 Kings chapter 1. And he said unto them, What manner of man was he that came up to meet you? 
and you told you these words. And they answered him and said, He was a hairy man, gird with a girdle of leather about his loins. And he said, It is Elijah the Tishbite. So even the way he dressed and the way he carried himself reminded the children of Israel about who John really was. So John the Baptist was that one promised that would come and declare that Messiah had arrived. Now, all of this is important because next week we're going to look at this baptism that John does for Jesus. Okay? And we will see the phrase again that this is done so that Scripture would be fulfilled. Everything we're seeing that Matthew is setting up here is to remind the Jews that everything that God had said in the Old Testament, he is fulfilling in the New Testament. Okay? This is so amazing to me because I love when God confirms his word and keeps his promises, and we see it deliberately. All right? Keep going. So what is the message? Now, I'm flying through this today, and we're going to get done early. Because next week we're going to talk about baptism, and I don't want to run through that real fast. I didn't want to jam two together. I want to focus on this this morning, because he has a specific message. Okay? The first part of this message is the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now again... Please understand, this kingdom of heaven that he's talking about is the earthly, physical kingdom that God had promised that would be established in Jerusalem where Messiah would sit upon the throne. All right? You with me? Okay, because the other kingdom is already established. It's been established since before time. And God is on the throne, and he's never been off the throne. Okay, in the kingdom of God, that kingdom in heaven in eternal places, God the Heavenly Father is on the throne and has never been off it. He's always been on it. But there is a throne here on this earth which has been promised to the King of Kings, Jesus, Messiah, that to this point he hasn't sat on. Even today he still hasn't sat on it. Okay, He will someday soon, and we were talking about it might be sooner than later. Hallelujah. Okay, but I want us to understand, when he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he is trying to tell the Jews, your king is here. He's arrived. Now this is the amazing part, and I said this again, and we'll continue to focus on this as we go through the book of Matthew. If the children of Israel would have opened their minds and realized that this actually is the king and accepted him as their Messiah, he would have been able to assume the throne right then and there and go into eternity, okay? And things would have been a lot different. But by the time we get to Matthew chapter 13, we'll see the rejection. Jesus, they, they didn't want anything to do with him. And Jesus all of a sudden changes and starts going to Gentiles with his message. And guys, that is the one reason that you and I have the salvation that we have is because when Jesus arrived the first time, they didn't want to put him on the throne as king. Even with all these proofs that Matthew's bringing out, they weren't ready to receive him as king. But understand when he says, listen, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The king is walking right here in Jerusalem. Do you understand how close it is for him to be able to assume the position as king of kings on the throne of David forever? Man, now I look back and go, man, what a time that must have been. And we can't believe that he was rejected but it's all part of God's bigger picture and his plan. Keep that in mind. So he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand, okay? Keep going. He also says repent. 
Now I'm going to stop here for a minute because sometimes we take this word repent and we misunderstand it a little bit. And hopefully by the time we're done this morning it'll give us a little bit better concept of it. We often make this repentance and repent such a heavy thing because it, it has to do with us being deeply entrenched in our sin and we need to give it up and turn away and that is definitely a big part of it. But basically, repentance is to change your mind. Okay? When it says repent, and, and this is why I'm being careful, because there's going to be two things that we see this morning in the John the Baptist message that have nothing... No. I'm going to correct that statement. That are not salvation. They are a part of it, but they are not salvation now this is why this is important when you repent it doesn't mean you're saved how many of you have ever changed your mind okay you used to think a certain way now you think a different way well you're a believer then you're a christian you're going to heaven you see how because we misunderstand that okay repentance is a part of us understanding salvation but this is the phrase, and I think I wrote it down this way, but just make sure, let's go through the notes. This is, repenting is not to be redeemed by a Savior. That is not what repentance means. Okay, repentance means you start understanding what God has to say about. You start thinking differently. Many of us talk about a 180 degree turn from where you were headed, changing up. This is John the Baptist's message. He says, listen, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You guys need to change your ways. Now, just because you change your ways, does that mean you're all of a sudden saved? No, isn't there a lot of people who have life transformations and do things differently? Doesn't mean that that's a guaranteed salvation. Here's the fact, guys, and please keep this in your mind. Salvation is only by the blood of Jesus Christ. You can repent till you're blue in the face. Unless you have Jesus' payment paid for your sins and you accept that, repentance does you absolutely no good. Now, granted, it might, you know, I, I'm, uh, I'm a drug addict and I'm going to change and not be that anymore. Yeah, that benefits you physically and your family, but that's not a guarantee of salvation because salvation is solely in the work of Christ that he did. Okay? And this is why this is important, because John the Baptist's message to the Jews was not receive salvation of Christ. His message was the king has arrived. Stop being who you're being and start acting like the children of Israel should be acting. What did we see in the whole book of Malachi? The whole book of Malachi was children of Israel, Jews, Hebrews saying, what a weariness. I'm so tired of just keeping the law and the commandments. This is ridiculous. I don't want to do it anymore. And for 400 years, that attitude permeated. And John the Baptist says, repent. You better change your mind and you get a better get back to the people that God wants you to be. Start acting like a real Jew. Start acting like a Hebrew. Start following. The, that is what John the Baptist's message is. Repent for the king is here. Okay? Case in point. How many of you, when you're in your teenage years, mom and dad left you alone in the house? Okay, you're all by yourself. Mom and dad were out doing something and you had the house to yourself. 
and they had the trust in you that you probably weren't going to burn it down. Okay, although, I don't know. Um, but you know what happened? How many of you ever pulled the thing where I'm doing something that mom and dad wouldn't greatly appreciate and the car pulls in the driveway? And what do you do? Scurry, scurry, scamper, put that away, put this, you know. You, okay. Yes, mommy, I was sitting here reading my Bible and singing Christian hymns. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? What about the boss? Okay. Oh, extra long break today. Yep, uh, nobody's around, so I'll get us 15 minutes now, a 25-minute break. It's half, until all of a sudden the boss walks around the corner. Ah! Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm just finishing up. Right? Do you understand? He says, repent. He's here. The boss, the parent, the king has arrived. Why aren't you guys acting like the children of Israel should be acting? Okay, that's the message of repentance. Turn from what you're doing now. Change your mind and get yourself back the way you should be. Now that is a piece to understanding what true salvation is, but that is not salvation. That's just a change in your mind. All right? You with me so far? Please, because again, some people will, you know, misunderstand this repentance and think that if they repent, that's all that's necessary. Okay? Repentance is not salvation. It's just a part. It doesn't mean sin. How do I know that? Let's look at this next verse. Genesis says something interesting about our God. Check this out. And it repented. Wait a second. It repented that the Lord repented? That means God himself turned away from his sin? Is that what that means? No, it means God changed his mind. God says, I made mankind, and I'm not real happy about it. Okay, this is the verses just before the flood. Let's finish reading it. And it repented the Lord that he made man on earth, and he grieved him in his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man for whom I've created on the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and fowl of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. Now again, some people have a problem with this verse because they think repentance is only taking, I've been sinning and now I'm going to do different. That's part of it. But repentance is changing your mind. God wasn't committing sin. God just said, why did I do this? Now, I like this idea. You ever do that? You ever look at a situation and say, I don't even know why I started this. This wasn't worth it. What kind of effort? God himself is saying, these bunch of clowns, now again, remember, we're, Nimrod's happened, the Tower of Babel's happened, the, the entire world is living after their own desires of the flesh, and God looks at it, other than one family by the name of Noah and his family, everyone else on the earth is walking away. And it says, it repented the Lord. That means God was changing his mind. He was second-guessing why. Hey, now we know why. God has a plan, he's going to work his plan. But it doesn't mean God had to like what was going on. You with me? So again, I'm trying to help us understand this idea of repentance. It is not necessarily only turning from a bad sin to something. It just means changing your mind. So the message to the children of Israel was, smarten up because the king is here. Now, I'm just trying to hold, put this out into a whole you know, thing to help us understand. Sometimes 
when you're doing something when mommy and daddy get home. It's not a bad thing, is it? Doesn't mean you were, you know, doing something absolutely terrible. It's just something you probably were supposed to be doing something else. Right? If mom and dad told you, I'm running to the store, I want you to work on your homework while I'm gone. Right? That's a pretty common thing, right? Or do the chores when I'm gone. And you decide that you are going to watch some television and not do your homework. Now, there may be some difficulty in this, but generally, the act of watching television is not a bad thing, is it? You can put on TV, you can put on the news, you can put on something, you know, Discovery Channel, something. But it wasn't what mom and dad asked you to do. All of a sudden, the car pulls in the driveway. What are you doing? Turning off the TV, getting the homework books out, doing everything, getting ready. Why am I, why is that something that seems fresh over there? Okay. Right? Not necessarily doing something wrong, but all of a sudden realizing, oops, they're here. It's time I ought to be doing the things that I should be doing. You with me so far? This is where uh, John is approaching this. He's saying, guys, please act like you should be. Now, does that mean no sin is involved? No, absolutely not, because we just read the fact that repentance for the remission of sins, meaning if you're doing something you shouldn't be doing, by golly, you better stop. Okay, but understanding repentance, when God repented in Genesis, doesn't mean he was doing something sinful and he had to change his ways. Okay, he was just going, you know what? I'm starting from scratch. I'm taking Noah and his family and the rest of them I'm done with them. Okay, so just giving us an understanding of repentance. So he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Guys, the king is here. Number two, you ought to change your ways. Start acting like God's people because the king is here. And then, remember, uh, we're going to look at the next chapter. Jesus said the same thing. Okay, from the time that Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So not only did John say this, Jesus was saying the exact same thought. Change your ways with this close to possibly having the king on the throne. Repent. Keep going. Now notice, let's read the next couple of verses. Back in uh, verse 4. The same John had his raiment of camel's hair and leather girt about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and the regions round about Jordan, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. Okay, so we're, and that's where we're going to stop. We're going to stop there at John's baptism. We're going to look at the rest of that next week. But I want to remind us about confession. Confession means to acknowledge, okay, or fully agree. Confession does not save anyone. Now, this is very important that we say this because there are religious Christian denominations that pride themselves on confession, don't they? You come in and you confess, okay? Confession does not save you. Hold on to that thought. Let me qualify that. Confession of sin does not save you. Because again, then why did Jesus come? 
If all we had to do was admit the sins we were doing, and that saved us, is that enough? And again, I want to qualify. We, sometimes we misunderstand what repentance means. Sometimes we misunderstand what confession means. Okay? Confession means you will now understand and agree with God about your behavior that it's sin. Okay, now here's the verse I want to point out. Confession of Christ's work is what saves. Okay, go on to the next piece here. How about, we know this verse, right? So it says they needed to confess their sins. Confession of sin doesn't save anybody. This is Romans Road. Half of us probably got this verse memorized, right? That if thou wilt confess with thy mouth thy sin. Is that what that says? So confession is completely agreeing with God. Okay? So I agree with God that I'm a sinner because I keep sinning. And that I'm a sinner because I'm born in sin. That's a confession that doesn't mean I'm, I'm a Christian. That doesn't mean I'm forgiven. That doesn't mean I'm saved. Just a reality. Now, is it absolutely essential? Yes. If you don't realize you have sin that needs to be forgiven, I'm perfect. I had a pastor and uh, one of our professors in college, and uh, every time you walked up to him uh, and said, how you doing, Brother Edge? He would say, I'm perfect. Every time, that was his answer. Hey, how you doing? I'm perfect. And he just meant it at his joke. Because he always liked to be dressed up neat in his hair. Was a, man, one of the worst days in the world was when one of the college students went up and ruffled his hair. Because it wasn't perfect anymore. But he just had this funny way about him. Okay, somebody who is not a sinner, do they need a savior? Now, I'm not asking a trick question. If you're not in trouble, do you need to be saved? A saved person needs to be saved because there's something they need to be saved from. If you're not a sinner, then you've got no problems, right? So the first thing you have to do is realize and agree that you're a sinner. That's important, but that's not enough. Confession of your sin is a great reality, but that's not all. You have to confess the Lord Jesus Christ. Just realizing you're a sinner, that's great. That's the first step. But that doesn't guarantee you salvation. What guarantees you salvation is you are confessing, agreeing with God that the Lord Jesus Christ is your cure. And so again, I want this to be understood because there are hundreds of thousands of people in this world that go to confession. And they share their shortcomings with someone else and think that they're clear. Well, that's great, but if you don't confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it is not complete. You've gotten part of the way there. I've repented because, man, I'm changing my ways. I'm confessed. I'm a sinner. I confess that Jesus Christ is my Savior, that He is the one who has paid the price for my sin. He is the only solution to this sin problem that I had. I can confess sin Every moment of every day of my life, it doesn't fix it. What fixes it is Christ. So this very, very compact Romans road verse that says, confess with your heart the Lord Jesus Christ and believe, confess with the mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. 
The reality, what you need to agree with, is salvation comes through Jesus Christ. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Not confessing sin, but confessing Christ as your Lord and Savior. Next, the last verse of it. Oh, well, we can go back. I'll jump on that one for a minute. So I want us to be understanding when John the Baptist is approaching them and they are being baptized, confessing their sins, that is still not an action that gets them saved by Jesus Christ, Savior. They're confessing their shortcomings because he said, turn from what you're doing. And they say, yes, we agree that we haven't been doing right. We're confessing that before you. And they're baptized in preparations for the earthly Messiah to take his throne on here in the... That's what this is about. This is not a verse at all to do with salvation the way you and I understand it in Christianity. Number one, Jesus hasn't even died for sins yet. But number two, the focus of this is for them to be the members of the kingdom that God has always designed them to be. Repent. You know the law. You know the prophets. Start doing what represents your king. The kingdom is at hand. Turn away from that. And because he said that and preached that message, they confessed that they were sinners. And then next week we'll look a little bit more in this because, remember, baptisms didn't start with John. I mean, Dan went to Israel. I could probably tell you baptisms still take place over there. He baptized all the time. Okay, they were baptizing. What baptism was a cleansing. That's what the picture, it was a washing Okay, and it's something that went on. So they confessed that they were sinners, repenting, saying we shouldn't be doing this, and they got baptized because they wanted to be clean before God. But this has nothing to do with the eternal salvation that you and I have through Jesus Christ, our Savior. This is all about a king coming and a, a people wanting to be prepared for receiving their king and setting up their kingdom. Okay, with me so far? Now, confession of sin is important, and this is the next slide. Confession of sin is important for fellowship. Honestly, I don't have to confess my sin to God. Because you know how long that would take? I'd never finish. If salvation was based upon me confessing every single sin I've ever done, how many of you remember every sin you've ever done? Man, I can't remember yesterday. Okay, if confession of each individual sin was what was necessary to be saved, we would be in trouble. How about uh, if you have a fight with your spouse? Okay, you have a passionate argument. How about that? And you say things you know you shouldn't have said. They say things they know they shouldn't have said. When you get together finally and you make amends, you say, I'm sorry. They say, I'm sorry. Okay, do you say, okay, I'm sorry for. 
raising my voice, and I'm sorry for saying this, and I'm sorry for saying Do you have to break down every, each and every individual one of those things? No, to fix the relationship, to bring it back into a place where you can have communion and fellowship together, you say, I was wrong, please forgive me. And hopefully they'll say the same thing. Okay, confession of sin and wrong is not a prerequisite to being saved. Understanding that we are sinners, okay, and realizing we have a sin problem, that is absolutely a prerequisite. But audibly laying out everything wrong that you've done is not. Okay, and this passage we use all the time. This is not a salvation passage. This is a reminder on how you stay in fellowship because if I've wronged one of you, it's hard for me to, you and I, to have a good relationship, isn't it? If you just got off with a fight with your spouse, you know what happens, right? You can be in the same kitchen and you're like, <laughs> you don't say anything, you open the fridge, you get a drink, you know, you walk around, you know. To... You, you with me or am I the only one? There's a wall there because you haven't dealt with the issue. So you confess your wrongs so that you can be in fellowship with each other again. And see, that's the problem we have with God. Sometimes we live for our own selves. We have a sin issue in our lives. And God says, um, you need to confess your sin. Not every jot and tittle and not necessarily to another human being. God says, listen, I'm here every day, every moment of every day. I'd love to spend some great time with you, but you get this problem. you got a sin chip on your shoulder, and you won't get it right. Just like if you were fighting with your spouse. Well, well I thought we were going to have a nice dinner together, but until she comes and bows at my feet and kisses my shoe, forget it. No, we've got an issue, right? And we need to get it taken care of before we can be back in fellowship with one another. This works. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Now, please remember this verse, if we're having fellowship with him, this is not an unbeliever. This is somebody who's already a Christian. But if we walk in the light, again, as a believer... As he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all our sin. This confession of sin is so that we can have proper fellowship with each other and with the Lord. If we're going to say we're one of God's kids, but continue to walk in darkness, God says, <laughs> doesn't work that way. There's going to be broken fellowship. But, and here's the verse we love, right? If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. It's Next slide. Okay? No, there it is. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Well, I don't know why she's so mad at me. I didn't do anything wrong. Oh, really? Last time I checked, most arguments have two sides. And two people need to deal with the stupidity that they just brought into it. Okay? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And here it is. Again, this is for those who can walk in the light. These are those who can have fellowship with God. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word's not in us. 
confession of sin is important to make sure we continue to have proper fellowship with God and with each other. But confession of the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior is what saves you. You don't walk into a church and sit down with a, a pastor, a bishop, a deacon, a, 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 a priest, or anything else and confess all your sins to that person and that takes care of your sin problem. The only thing that takes care of your sin problem is Jesus Christ the Savior. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God had raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So again, I want to make sure that as we're looking at this from the Jewish standpoint, that it said they were confessing their sins, that doesn't mean they had eternal salvation. They were just realizing that as John was pointing out that they were doing things they shouldn't, they got it right and said, you're right, we are doing what we shouldn't. I want to repent, I want to change my mind, I want to do the things I should be doing and stop the what I shouldn't. But at this point in time, there was no cross, there was no resurrection. All right, so we need to understand that. All right, last bit. So John the Baptist prepared the way for the king of the Jews. He was the herald of the king, and he said, listen, guys, the king, he's at hand. Right now, he's here. All of the prophecies for thousands of years that we've been waiting for are being fulfilled at this very moment. Do you get it, how exciting this is? Questions for us, though. Next slide. We have seen a different message uh, for us. Have you seen your sin as God sees it? I hope so. Because that's part of it, is knowing, not looking at our lives the way we want to look at it. We need to look at it how God looks at it. Have you confessed Jesus Christ as your Savior? I hope so. I look around and know a lot of you in your testimonies. And we know that that is the key to our salvation. And our relationship with God, as you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, you're saved. But you have sin that has broken your fellowship with God and God's people. God says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Because Lord knows, I was saved many years ago, and I still sin. And I'm so glad that God has given me the ability that I don't lose my salvation because of that. It may affect my relationship with God, but all I have to do is turn back to the Lord and say, Father, I'm sorry. And he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And we can be back in a proper relationship with him. Man, I'm so sorry. That, and I'm so thankful. When you deal with churches that focus on confessing sins, that church and that organization usually functions on guilt. When you deal with the fact that you confess Christ as Savior to get his forgiveness, it is no longer about guilt. It is realizing the precious relationship that you now have with God, and you want to do everything in the world to protect that. So it's important as we go out in this world and deal with Christians, quote-unquote, who live under a system of guilt that keeps telling them if they would just keep dealing with their saying what they've done wrong and just letting everybody know, and, and you're guilty, you're guilty, you better come and confess. You got, every week you better do that, because if you die somewhere in between that, you may not be forgiven of those sins. 
or you can have understanding that the individual sins are all taken care of on the Lord Jesus Christ when he died for us. Every single one of those sins. If we would confess him as our Savior, we now be able to enter a relationship with God that is eternal. Man, I love that. So last bit there at the bottom, deal with it today. Don't put it off. Is there a sin you haven't dealt with with God for a little while? And you know the fellowship with him hasn't been what it should be? Deal with it today. If you don't know him as Savior, and you've spent a lot of your life confessing sins, but you've never confessed him as your Lord and Savior, do it today. Matthew is a great book teaching us about what the Jews were looking for, but it also has a lot of great information for us to remember. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for being able to just step back for a minute and define some of these terms. Lord, we want to repent because we don't want to live like our old flesh used to. We want to turn around and live like you want us to. Father, we want to confess and remember that we are sinners. We've got a problem. But Lord, we don't confess because we need to list everything so we have forgiveness. We have forgiveness when we confess Christ as our Savior. Far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered again. But Father, we do want to remember that doesn't give us license to just continue sinning. Because, Lord, those sins can separate us from our relationship with you and they can separate us from our relationship with other believers, with people in our lives. That, Lord, if we're honest and we're willing to deal with the problem that we screw up now and then, and we're ready to deal with that and get it right, Lord, we can have a proper fellowship with you and the ones we love. And so, Father, I thank you for your word, what it teaches us. Lord, continue to bless. We're going to look at the baptisms next week and how special this was. And Lord, the fact that you, Son of God, submitted to be baptized for a reason. And so, Father, help us as we get understanding. Lord, let us go out into this world. We looked at it. There's only one cure, only one fix. The name of Jesus. Lord, help us as we go share that with someone else this week. In Jesus' name, amen.